I couldn't stop killing. It got easier each time. And that is our lovely friend, William Bonin. You know what you love about this? Is that you only thought it was going to be so many episodes. Hi, yeah, yeah. And that quote alone makes you realize. <laughs> when is this motherfucker going to get caught? <laughs> y'all, y'all, I started working on this fourth episode and it is, turns out we're going to have two five to cover all the horrible shit this motherfucker did. I'm. I, I would love to say I love it, but I also don't love it at the same time. Right. Because I get you on like how gross it is. But at the same yeah. time, I'm like, I'm so excited. <laughs> this is Jen. This is Becky. This is Too Close to Home. William Bonin part four. 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 Huh. So when we left, we had discussed that some, um, that March 24th, 1980 was going to be a day to remember. So we're going to get more into that and we're going to see the real significance of that day. And uh, we're going to go over some more murders and some more accomplices. They're not over, friends. They're not over. So get your vomit bag out. <laughs> oh, yeah. There's one we'll cover where I'm just really skim across it. And you could tell I was getting real fucking tired of reading these. And it, they just get so bad that you're just like, I'm, I'm dying. The fuck, man? If I hear that you squeeze the genitals one more fucking time, I'm going to lose my mind. When I said can't get any worse it was not a challenge okay <laughs> it was not thank you <laughs> so we're going to start out and talk about the reporters some because they're going to play they play a really big part in his eventual arrest so during the three months at the orange county register jj maloney started putting together his first major news story while at work one day he found an envelope on his desk labeled dead gay boys <laughs> That was it. Didn't know who it was from or anything. And he's like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> I mean. There were numerous articles about 13 missing boys found dead. Maloney and a fellow reporter were bothered that there was not much coverage over this story, yet any outcry. They also did not want to label all these young men as homosexuals. Well, because as were the times, if they were labeled as such, the public wouldn't care so much. Right. And so, and plus they were like, it's not really... Not not all of them were, and the ones that were, that's not what should be the focus of no. their deaths. Doesn't matter if you're homosexual. It doesn't matter what label you have. You don't deserve to die like that. Just like how they'll treat, you know, sex worker crimes mm-hmm. like that. Um, they'll, they call uh, it the lesser dead, yeah. Yeah, you know, and it's it's not fair, and they, they felt that it wasn't. Another reason that there wasn't much coverage is the LAPD had recently botched the Hillside Strangler mm-hmm. murders. They had spent millions and many deaths before they finally arrested Kenneth Bianchi. So to say they were attempting to brush this under the rug <clears throat> would not be a stretch. <laughs> <laughs> they also felt the police were stonewalling so it wouldn't be blasted. There was another serial killer that they couldn't catch. <laughs> like, guys, yeah, we just need one good case. One good case. No. Let's just, this other one, we, we obviously are not doing great. There are different places. We're just <laughs> going to say they're not connected. Let's just, let's just. So Maloney and Tim Agler got to work. He was the other reporter. They quickly figured out that these murders were all related and that they dated back to 1973 and that they all died by strangulation. God, that's a long time frame. So this is 1980, start 1973. That's if I carry the two. <laughs> Seven years. <laughs> <laughs> when they first went and talked to the police about the murders and being related, the police told them, well, that's just how homosexuals die. 
And what your little head thing is exactly what they did. <laughs> the fuck? <laughs> so uh, Maloney did a quick check of the statistics and found that strangulation was actually rare and that homosexuals were much less likely to die than heterosexuals. So he's like, hmm. The statistics tell me. <laughs> That's fake news. <laughs> fake news. <laughs> I just felt that this little bit of information was relevant as to why this went on for so long and why things weren't covered the way they should be. Once again, just saying, I don't know shit. I'm just a girl doing a podcast with my best friend. <laughs> but exactly. I feel like that might have been some of why this motherfucker continued to kill people. On March 24th, 1980, that's the day the story broke about a serial killer dubbed the Freeway Killer. So Maloney and Algler are the ones who broke the story, and they are the ones that dubbed him the Freeway Killer. Quickly, though, the story gained traction, and it was everywhere. Every outlet and news station was picking up the story, and it was soon everywhere that you looked. But if you think that this stopped him from killing, I'm going to let y'all know it did not. (laughs) In fact, it just had him bring in another recruit to help with murdering. I feel it, bro. Look, I'm getting famous. I can't stop now. <laughs> the next accomplice was a kid named Billy Pugh. On the 24th, Bonin received a call from a previous friend slash lover that he had made while locked up in county. His name was Eric. Look, hold on, let me do my reader. Let's see if my reader can say this name because I sure as fuck can. <laughs> Winded Jets. Windigets. Yeah, sure, that sounds good. He was a killer, so I don't give a fuck. Yeah. I'm going to pronounce it wrong on purpose now. Boom. Winda who? (laughs) So Eric was being released and called Bonin to pick him up. They went to Bonin's mother's house. They were intimate. And then they headed to Scott Frazier's to party. Eric made a bit of a scene at the party by getting extremely drunk, so Bonin dropped him off at home. That same night after Bonin dropped him off, he was invited back over to Frazier's with the purpose of meeting 17-year-old William Billy Pugh. Frazier thought he was Bonin's type and wanted them to meet. Pugh had a rough past, including rubbery, robbery, rubbery. <laughs> I was like, whoa, where is this going? <laughs> Car theft. It's almost like the anus again. <laughs> right? I like to surprise you, Jen Young. And you guys. So robbery, car theft, and battery on a teacher, just to name a few. Bonin wanted to start something with Pugh since he knew he couldn't kill him because, well, people had seen him together. So why I thought he was cute and was like, mm-hmm, but I can't kill him because people see me with him. I have witnesses and shit. I mean, he was smart about the fact that if you, if anyone seen him with the person, he wasn't going to kill them because then they could be like, shit, well, we seen him with, oh, Billy. They all called him Billy, but I don't, I, don't know. I just call uh, him Well, Bonin. I think about like Billy Bones from uh, Treasure Island. Billy, 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 Billy. <laughs> but like they had the Muppet Treasure Island, so that's the one I'm thinking about. <laughs> Bonin later wrote in his diary I started to get the idea he might just be a good guy to get into a good murder with at 11 p.m. as one does think about their friend I know that's the first thing I thought about you when I met same like you know what I could bury a body with her I could and I was like that's how I know we're gonna be friends (laughs) keep it keep an eye out Jimmy I'm just letting you know oh he already knows fuck around find Find out out At 11 p.m., Pugh announced that he had to leave, and Bonin offered him a ride. Bonin then offered to give Pugh head, to which he accepted. And I assume that everybody knows what the the lingo head means, and I don't have to describe it. But if you don't, hit up our inbox. We'll let you know. (laughs) We'll give you an education. It's called middle school. (laughs) (laughs) 
They pulled over and got in the back. After fooling around, Bonin wanted to have sex. Pew declined, stating, I only have sex with people, and I only get head. (laughs) I have standards. Standards, (laughs) sir. Pew stated he liked girls better, so Bonin said they should go look for some girls. Pew agreed, and off they went. Bonin suggested if we don't find a girl, we'll just pick up a guy. That was his way of, like, you know, he had a way of, like, talking people into things. Pew asked, well, what do we do if we pick them up and they don't want to? To which oh, Bonin... Over, this is like that last... The guy that he had worked yes, with them last time. Yes, it was the same time, kind of like, play out. Well, you know, if they see us and we rape them, then we're going to have to come. Go that is exactly how this played out. He said, so what do we do if she doesn't want to? Bonin said, fuck her and what she wants. We just take it from her. Same with the guys. He went on to say, one problem is what if they tell? Pew said, we'll just beat him up and tell him that when we come back, we'll kill him. Bonin suggested they just kill him right away. You know. To which Pew, he told Pew, as long as no one sees us pick them up or dump them, then we'll be in the clear. We'll just rape them and kill them. And Pew agreed. These people just like agreed so easily. And I do think that some of them thought he was probably just talking shit and he yeah. wasn't really going to do it. And then like you're there and he's like brutally raping and like half murdering someone. And you're like, eh. Well, so this wasn't now. a joke. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> this wasn't a euphemism. <laughs> and then you're like, well, "What do I do now?" <laughs> Keep in mind, this is still March 24th. So the story came out in the news, and he meets Pew, and they go out and about to go rape some people, kill them, have a good old time, good old Friday night. So they went to an area populated by hustlers and found 15-year-old Harry Turner with his thumb out. Bonin pulled over and offered him a ride to a popular coffee shop the kid was headed to. Turner hopped in, and after a few minutes, Bonin offered him $30 to let him give him head. Homie's just wanting to get some caffeine. <laughs> I'm not awake, <laughs> and you already tried. <laughs> well, I will say this coffee shop that he was going to was a coffee shop in, so there was like, like a, a gay district, and it was in the gay district, and it was frequented by hustlers. Okay. So... I guess not a lot, not a big jump. It's different if you're just like in the middle of nowhere. We're like, hey, I need a, a live to Starbies. I need yeah. my frap. Yeah, I wasn't, <laughs> no, it's not wasn't one of those. That. No, <laughs> I want that in there. <laughs> so the kid agreed. So Bonin drove past the coffee shop, parked on a side street. Bonin then got undressed and demanded the kid perform oral sex. When he declined, Bonin hit him. Pew then locked the doors and climbed in the back. Pew and Bonin. That's pretty brazen to be doing that on a street. It's the 80s. It is a wild time. In a shagging wagon. (laughs) In L.A. If we only had our napping wagon. (laughs) If we only did. So both of them get in the back. They demand the kid perform oral sex on him. Bonin then moved the boy into the position to rape him and forced him to perform oral sex on Pew at the same time. When Bonin finished, then Pew raped the young boy. When finished, they got in the front and started driving while Pew, I'm sorry, Pew stayed in the back and just started beating the shit out of the kid. When blood started getting everywhere, Pew stopped with the beating. So Bonin pulled over and showed him other ways to beat him without causing blood. So he showed him how to punch him in the chest and in the privates and all this. He's like, yeah, you can inflict just as much pain and you don't have any blood come out. Just just talent. Learning. Learning. (laughs) Teaching opportunity. The more you know. (laughs) Jesus. <laughs> so he drives around. Old boy sits back there beating him. 
before hopping up front to continue driving, what do you think Bonin did? Grabbed there his, we go. Grabbed his balls. Jimmy's Jimmy the winner knew. of the day. <laughs> He's doing a, a very crude hand gesture. <laughs> and then he did a, like a rock and roll, like a fist pump thing, but it just looks like you're jacking somebody off. <laughs> <laughs> Which, you know, that happened throughout it too. Yeah. Bonin then whispered to Pew that go. they would pull off. Pew would hold his hands down and Bonin would choke him. Pew later testified that he didn't want to kill him, but he was afraid Bonin would turn on him especially after he'd seen newspaper clippings about the other murders in Bonin's glove box. They found an area to stop, killed Turner in the typical manner, and looked for a place to dump the body. They found an alley with dumpsters, pulled up, opened the doors, and just threw the body out. They then circled around a few times to ensure no one had seen them. Feeling confident that no one had, they headed home. When Bonin dropped off Pew, he told him to never talk about this anyone. If you need to talk, you talk to me. Two days later, Pew was super nervous and freaking out, so he called Bonin to talk. They met, they talked about the murder, talked it over, he calmed him down, and that was the last time that they it's ever... Cool, it's cool, it's cool, man. It's yeah. all right, everybody does this. Cool, 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 cool. They were already coming got us. He didn't sound like an AA situation, like he's a sponsor. What's that means you talk me down, man? I feel better now. <laughs> they went and talked, and then they never seen each other again. The next morning, Turner's body was found. Turner was Bonin's 17th victim. 17th. But was only the 7th dumped in L.A. County and the 2nd within L.A. city limits. He's starting to, like, pile up bodies in spaces that he wasn't trying to pile up bodies before. Right. Maloney and Alger were ramped up at the O.C. register and were heavily covering the victims. And Bonin looked every bit of the coverage. It was just a chance to relive his crimes. He would buy... The first copy he bought, he went over to Steve Frazier's house. Now, do you remember, Steve Frazier was the one he told about the first murder when he Mm -hmm. stabbed the guy. So he went over and was like, oh, my God, can you believe this? They've named this guy the freeway killer. Look at all the stuff he's doing. And Frazier's like, oh, my God. And he did it, he said, as a test to see if Frazier was linking him to the murders. And he wasn't at all because all he knew about was the one and it was a stabbing and all these kids were strangled. Right. So then... He went and got some more papers and took them into his work and was showing people to see if anybody was linking him. Nobody was. So then he was just getting his jollies off even more. Like, oh, I'm yeah, doing this. Like, killing oh all these God, people. Can you hear what he did? I heard he did X, Y, and Z. Yeah. It's almost like insinuating themselves into um, a crime investigation. But yes. doing it via the public. Exactly. And if you think the widespread coverage, the multiple accomplices, the pressure on the police to find a killer slowed Bonin down, you, my friend, would be wrong again. Bonin was both smart and dumb. He spread his victims out over a 150-mile radius, and he left no clues. That was the whole point of him taking all their clothes off and getting rid of their ID because there was less evidence to be found on them. His three co-murderers are also not the most reliable, and they definitely were unstable. (laughs) So he felt, even if one of them says something, who's going to believe them? Exactly. You got one that dresses up in his costumes... Has coffins in his house, performs magic, and loves D&D. Sounds like me and Jimmy. Put <laughs> <laughs> coffins in D&D? Especially in the 80s, no one's going to believe that guy. <laughs> then you got the Pew, the 17-year-old who is in and out of jail. Yeah. No one's going to believe him. I mean, none of them were reliable. On April 10th, 1980, two weeks after recruiting Pew, Bonham was on the hunt again. 
Stephen Wood said goodbye to his mother and headed off to school. He was first headed to the dentist. He rode the bus into town and proceeded to hitch a ride the rest of the way. Unluckily, Bonin stopped and offered him a ride. Bonin's short but chilling written confession is anything but heartbreaking. So I'm going to read you a little bit of his written confession. Let you hear his, his real words. I saw this guy hitchhiking and picked him up. This, now this is from his diaries and his written confessions. They have like all the different things together. He was on his way to a driving class at some school. I told him I'd give him a ride all the way. I propositioned him and he declined. All the way to the grave? Yeah. I offered him $100 if he let me suck him off. He was leery and didn't give an answer. I pulled into a lot at Woodford and Rosecrans, about 100 yards or so from a self-service car wash. I said, let's talk for a second and shut the engine off. I said, look, I live right over there. I'm from this area and I won't hurt you or do anything you don't want. I'll give you $100 to let me suck you off and then I'll drop you off at the school. It'll probably only take 15 minutes at most to come. It would have taken you longer than an hour to get to school. He said, just a head job, nothing else? I said, right. I knew I had him now. He said, oh boy. We got into the back and I got his dick hard. Oh yeah, I can say that. So why am I acting like I can't say things? (laughs) I know it's like a damn sailor. (laughs) It just feels dirty reading this sometimes. (laughs) What gets me is the, oh boy. (laughs) I know. I got his dick hard and said, see, I got it hard. I'm going to get some tissue. I don't like taking the cum. He started jacking him off to keep to keep it hard. I went to the front, got a string and a knife. I came back and put the knife at his throat and told him to roll over. He did. He was really scared. I told him to put his hands behind his back, and he did. I tied him up. I took his pants, shoes, socks, drawers off, and tied his legs. Had him take his shirt off before I tied his hands. I then fucked him and didn't bother coming. We're just going to, yeah. Now you see why I had to take so many breaks reading this. Oh, my God. That's just part of it. I'm horrified, you guys. Just like. Yeah. I'm sure they are, too. They're probably like, I bet they were. Fast forward, fast forward. (laughs) So I'm going to skip through some. And also, what bragging right is like, I wasn't even going to come. Like, what? What? Yeah. I don't want to read you all the part about the the exact things he did when he killed him. (laughs) He said, I. Uh, this is when he puts the tire iron in the chain. He used a chain this time around his neck. He said, I I said, have you heard or read of the freeway killer? He looked at me and said, yes. I said, well, kid, that's me and you're next. Oh, God. He was so scared and trembling so much he was beyond crying. I twisted the iron and he died within minutes. And then he goes on to talk more about where he dumped the body and yada, yada, yada. I mean, it, when I tell you this crap is detailed, it is detailed. He tells every little thing. What roads he went down. Oh, yeah. For sure. Stephen's mother got home at 11.45 p.m. and her son wasn't home. She called friends and neighbors and then the police. At 7.40 a.m. the next morning, his body was found. This was the first victim he had left in Long Beach city limits. He's such a doll, isn't he? Just charming. To no surprise, he's still at it. But this time he brought his old friend Vernon Butts along. Oh, fucking Vernon. He did wait. Bring his ice pick. It's you always know how to segue into everything. (laughs) It's like we talk about this shit beforehand. I know. And we swear to God we don't, (laughs) guys. He waited three weeks before venturing out again. 19-year-old Darren Lee Kendrick would be Bonin and Butt's sixth victim and his final one with Butts. Bonin was up to 18 murders, 
from August 4th, 1979. So I know we said the murders dated back to 73, but we're talking about his current killing spree right now. Did his accomplices know about each other? No. Oh, and he's a cheater? Mm, right? Listen, I didn't like him already. Now I despise him. <laughs> <laughs> so Bond ends up to 18 murders from August 4th, 1979 to April 10th, 1980. This is eight months and five days. With three of those months, he was locked up in county. Mm. With victim 19, Bonham was averaging one victim a week in his 23 weeks of freedom since the murders began. Fuck. Yeah, that's a lot. That's a lot. That's a lot of work. That it sounds is a really lot dirt, of work. But it just sounds like a lot of work. I don't even like cleaning my own house some days. Thank like, you. I've been putting off cutting my grass for three fucking days. Thank like, you. And you're murdering somebody once a week? That's exhausting. Mm. And then you're having to come up with all these stories and shit and talk people in. And then you're having your own fucking fantasies. Nobody has time for that. No. Mm -mm. Listen, I don't have time for my regular ass life. That's why Jimmy's not dead yet. (laughs) (laughs) Same with JJ. I just don't have the energy. (laughs) They keep me tired for a reason, okay? Yes. On the evening of April 29th, he began cruising around Long Beach, agitated and needing another kill. He spotted Darren rounding up shopping carts at his job at Lucky Supermarket. Bonham pulled up beside him and asked him if he wanted to buy some pot. He said yes and asked what kind. Bonham told him to hop in and they would drive around back and smoke a joint so he could, you know, test the product. You know, this was the 80s. Also, again. The first one's free. Very, very much would have been me dying. Listen, we're going to go smoke a doobie. And uh, I just got the, the kid in the is. back of your weird green van. We don't want the got don't it. want the man to get us. <laughs> exactly. I would be so dead. It's a good thing I wasn't born until 1987. Yes. God knew what he was doing. He did. He, he saved said, your this life. Bitch is trying to die. I got to put her in the the modern era. Okay, <laughs> where DNA is a real thing. <laughs> Doesn't mean she's not going to get killed. They'll oh, just no. get caught. They'll just get caught as I. <laughs> Daring unknowingly made the worst decision of his life. Bonham pulled behind the store and turned off the lights in the engine. This time, Bonham went straight to the point. He pulled a knife out and stuck it to his throat. Darren said, you aren't the freeway killer, are you? Oh, no. And Bonham said it like, like, stopped him for a minute because he was shocked. And like, hold up. I'm that famous? <laughs> <laughs> I hate you. <laughs> That's it's like me exactly in that doctor's office say. one time. Like, I've heard your podcast before. <laughs> what? What? Moi? Excuse me. Here flip. Moi. <laughs> Didn't mean to flex on you. Look, just as long as you're not selling the stuff I sign later for my autograph, we're okay. <laughs> <laughs> so Bonin denied it at first, stating he was just there to rob him. He wasn't into that gay stuff. And then he started asking him about the freeway killer. So Darren told him all about him, and Bonin denied being him. He had him get in the back of the van, tied him up, and took his money. He had just cashed his paycheck, and he had $200, which is quite a bit of money in the 80s. Mm-hmm. With the young man tied up in the back, Bonin decided to drive and find Butts, since he hadn't seen him in about five months. Bonin arrived at Butts' new home and asked him to come in. He told him, I got a live one out there and wanted to know if they could use his house. Butts said that they couldn't. He had company over. They argued until Bonin told him the kid had money on him and he would give him 40 bucks. With that, Butts agreed and told his company, you got to kick rocks. (laughs) They brought the tied up, scared young man into Butts' creepy decorated home. 
So he was in a new house now, and they described the decorum, and it was even fucking creepier than it was the last <laughs> one. He still had the two coffins, except he had a whole bunch of other creepy shit in there now. So it sounds so, like my vibe. Could you, <laughs> could you imagine? You're now hogtied in the back of this creepy van. They drive you to some house. They pick you up and carry you in hogtied, and then there's like fucking coffins and shit. And you're like, oh well, I'm just fucked. This is this is it. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. This is you bringing me up in this Adams family situation. <laughs> I know I'm dead. I know it's over. It's done. <laughs> that's what that's what a lot of people say when they come to my house. <laughs> I did the first time, like, and y'all locked the door, and I was like, I don't know what kind of weird couple shit y'all are into. <laughs> <laughs> but I ain't about it. <laughs> I ain't about that life. And I will fight back. I'm going to put my DNA in every corner of this fucking room. <laughs> you goddamn right I am. You're going to have to burn this bitch down. <laughs> <laughs> Could you imagine? I don't want to imagine, but I also want to do. Like, what would they say about us if it was like a IDTV episode about our murders? I know that nobody better say I was a ball of sunshine that lit up every room I walked into. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Tell the truth. Shame the devil, tell the truth. This bitch just was loud as hell. Dirty mouth. Talked like a sailor. Told her like it was. <laughs> Couldn't take her no fucking where. But that's okay. She didn't want to go no fucking where. <laughs> I told you I had a friend tell me one time. He was like, the only filter on your mouth is that cigarette. Hell and I was like, yeah. you got damn right. You got damn that's right. That's the way it's going to be the rest of the life. <laughs> and he was like, you clean up real nice. Except this doesn't, does it? And I was like, it doesn't. <laughs> But I look pretty. <laughs> like, thank you. All I heard was, you look fabulous today, Maggie. <laughs> <That's all laughs> and I, I do. All right. Thank you. <laughs> so they took him to the bedroom, cut off all of his clothes. They then proceeded to sexually assault and rape him. But then suggested they use chloral hydrate solution on him. Now, I didn't know what chloral, chloral hydrate solution was. I don't either. That's some 80s shit. I didn't know. So this is known as knockout drops. And it was typically used to treat insomnia. For a second there, I was like, I so, thought you were going to say infants. And I'd be like, that's very much of the time. <laughs> you know what? Put some whiskey in that bottle. You put that baby right out. <laughs> Ain't giving like fucking cirrhosis to the liver. So I want you to imagine a medication that is a cross between Ambien and the date rape drug. Oh, God. They fed him some of the knockout drugs, which if we're just putting all the cards on the table right now. I would prefer that you give me something that I'm not going to remember what the fuck is happening. Get me high before you fucking rape me. I want you to give me all these pills and maybe a couple glasses of wine. Yeah. That sounds like a great Tuesday afternoon (laughs) before dying. Exactly. (laughs) I'm here for it. They said they had fed him quite a bit and that he was like, uh, he kept saying, I'm tripping, I'm tripping. So I was like, Sounds like at least he didn't know what the fuck was going on whenever y'all killed him. Well, first of all, y'all got him high, and then you took him back out to the creepy-ass living room with coffins. I would probably think I was tripping, too, exactly. even if I wasn't. Could you imagine? And he had, like, all these black lights and stuff, and they just fed you all these drugs. How fucking... He's just hallucinating, seeing shit moving yeah. around. Fucking bats and shit. <laughs> you see fucking D&D dice all over the place. <laughs> Little figurines. <laughs> <laughs> Little figurines of, like, trolls and shit. <laughs> There's wizards everywhere. <laughs> Can I use that magic wand over there? <laughs> oh, no, not that magic wand. <laughs> they then fed him another solution, which resulted in him throwing up almost immediately that left burns on his chest, face, lips, and chin. 
They later said during the autopsy, the coroner couldn't even figure out what it was. Well, it the, sound like fucking bleach or something. They said the closest that he could say is he thought it was lie <gasps> and that it never actually made it in his throat. As soon as it went in his mouth, it made him vomit and it, yeah, it burned him everywhere. Oh, God. So see, they're just like amping up what they're doing now. Very much. Fern said he wanted to do the ice pick thing. <laughs> he went. Butts. He went and retrieved an ice pick and a handheld sledgehammer. Oh, God. They then choked him into unconsciousness, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and Vern used the ice pick, as you can imagine. Yep. And I'm going to leave it at that. It, it went into... Let your imagination run wild. Extreme graphic details, and I decided to spare y'all. That Thank was you. the point when I was like, I feel like I could vomit right now. He said he let out a high-pitched scream, and then nothing. No. They then moved him to the bathroom because they said there was a... They did not anticipate the amount of blood that was going to come from it. They said it just started pouring out. They thought it was just going to be like, like in a movie when you see him do it, there's not all this blood. They said it was like so much blood. They bagged up all of his clothes. Sorry, it was so inconvenient for you, but Yeah, I know. I feel bad for him in your fucking creepy ass house. Adds to the aesthetic, okay? Exactly. They then bagged all of his clothes and Vern grabbed his wallet and decided unknowingly to Bonin to keep it. They drove 15 miles to the city of Carson and dumped the body. Only four hours earlier, he was chasing shopping carts at his job. Now he was dead and his family would be forever changed. The next morning, his body would be found. Darren was the ninth victim in L.A. County, three in Orange County, four in San Bernardino, one in Riverside, one in San Diego, and one in Kern County. So you see, he's dropping bodies all over the place. Like fucking flies. Which, in the police's defense, I do think that kept them from knowing, tying them together sooner. Yeah, especially in the time, like you talked about, where it was all paperwork. Yeah. A lot of laziness. Yeah. Because ain't nobody want to do that much paperwork. We're going to have to start out right now. We don't want to do paperwork. We don't even have papers anymore. Thank you. Uh, Thank you. And then it was like a competition. Like, you're a murderer. ain't got nothing to do with mine, so mind your business. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Wow. Jim Monroe is a 19-year-old who will play a vital role in the Bonin story. He was involved in Bonin's last murder and testified about the murder and other information Bonin had told him about other murders to help unravel the whole story. Monroe and Bonin partied, drank, picked up hitchhikers, and murdered together. So if you ask me, they're just all around best friends. (laughs) Besties! Like us! Oh my god, minus the murder. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. Wink, wink. <laughs> Bonnet met Monroe at the Gay Community Service Center. They talked briefly, and he asked Monroe to come over for the weekend. Monroe eventually agreed, and they headed to Bonnet's home. Monroe stayed with him for a while, and he even got a job driving at his job, Dependable Driveway. An important side note, in my opinion. So Bonnet worked for this Dependable Driveway, right? Mm-hmm. And he was. As they said, one of his most active drivers. He would always volunteer for jobs, always willing to work, go the extra mile. So there was one thing. A lot of these um, drives would be like across the country. They would have to go to like make deliveries or pick up vehicles or yada yada, whatever the hell they were doing. And many of these jobs, he got, Bonin got in trouble because on their routes back, he would deviate from the route of the other drivers and take alternate routes. And they'd be like, where the hell did you go? Why'd you go that way? And he's like, oh, I just wanted to take a scenic route. So it really makes you wonder 
all the way across the United States how many other murders he committed when he went off on his own on these long-haul drives. Yeah. No telling how many more there are out there. Just random one-off murders that seem like they're one-off when they're Mm -hmm. really not. Oh, my God. Makes you wonder now, like, if any of those cold cases did DNA or had DNA checked up on them. Because I'm sure his DNA has probably been somewhere now. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, like... How many could probably... That's why you guys all have to get your DNA test. Get all your DNA tests and we can find out some identities. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Find some I thought you were talking killers. to me. I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about? You, you all, you do too. You like, do first too. First of all, you can't have my DNA because you ain't going to frame me for nothing. <laughs> <laughs> During the off hours from their job, the two would party at Scott Fraser's house and cruise around looking for guys. Around mid-May, Bonham began floating the idea of killing someone. Monroe said he could do it. I'm going to read you another excerpt. Then early in the morning, a guy about 24 years old picked us up. They they were out um, hitchhiking after a job. They had went to a job down in San Diego, and they had to drop off a vehicle and then get back, so they decided to hitchhike back. Then early in the morning, a guy about 24 years old picked us up. He was good looking. I made a pass at him, and he declined. I put my hand on his leg, and he pulled over and let us out. Both Jim and I could have been could have taken him, and I was thinking about it. Jim was looking at me, saying, "Let's take him with let Let's take, let's take him eyes. Let's take him eyes. <laughs> Forget fuck me eyes. It was, let's take him. Yeah, I got to get that one. <laughs> I decided it was too risky, and we got out. Shortly after that, a guy picked us up, gave him a ride all the way to where we were going. It was getting light, so we didn't didn't do anything. I did get it on with the guy, though. I jacked him off and gave him some head as we were going down the road. That is affectionately referred to as roadhead. Also, like, you're already playing with your life doing that. What? Listen, I've been around a man who've climaxed, and I don't think they should be driving vehicles while doing so. <laughs> Just saying road safety. Always safety first. Seatbelts too. You don't drive under the influence or with someone's mouth around your dick. No, you don't. Thank you, Jennifer, for bringing that bit of safety to people. It's it's important. Nobody wants to talk about it, but I am here to make everybody uncomfortable. (laughs) (laughs) Monroe wasn't earning much of Bonin's job, so he quit and moved back with a former friend and started at a gas station. So he had these other ties, owed this other guy money, was living with him for a while. He was a pimp. And he kind of went back and forth between the two of their house. But I don't really feel like deep diving into that. But there's a backstory for it. Listen, there's, you've already deep dived enough. I, I don't Thank blame you. you for not deep diving. Thank you. You just don't want know what you're going to uncover. A lot of shit I didn't want to. <laughs> he didn't last long there and went back to Bonin on May 22nd. Completely unaware that in the day's absence, Bonin had killed two people. Bonin was back at it and quickly claimed two more lives. Larry Sharp and Sean King within three days of each other. These murders ushered in another accomplice of Eric Windigens, whatever. That guy I talked about that got drunk at Eric, the party earlier. Eric. The douche nuggy. Now he's going to come back and be an accomplice too. Uh, of course. And I'd be thinking these motherfuckers are idiots because wait till you hear how he lured him in. <laughs> <laughs> now, like if I was looking for accomplices, it would not be this joker. Right? (laughs) Now, during this time, Darren Kendrick's employer had put up a $30,000 reward for information leading to his killer. This was the little shopping cart boy. 
$30,000 is a lot of money right now. Yeah. But thirty k in 1980 would equate roughly to 110000 today. That's a lot of fucking money. That's a lot of, that's a lot of cash. And soon after, a local gay activist organization, Great Outdoors, would add another 50K. That total today, with inflation, would be almost $300,000 reward they put up to catch Bonin. Damn. Could you fucking imagine? I wish I would know someone that did something and I could get 300K. I mean, for real. Why should they would send you a, a fucking W-2 at the end of the year? They'll be like, well, let someone get a tax 80% of this. <laughs> Ooh, government, you should have found them then. <laughs> Greg Carmack of the Great Outdoors said, if you make the reward big enough, the guy's mother will turn him in. Fuck yeah. <laughs> and if that isn't one of my favorite quotes of the series, I don't fucking know what it is. <laughs> Larry Sharp, victim number 20, was only 17 years old. Larry's se- sister would later testify they had gotten into a fight and he had packed his clothes and told the family, you're never going to see me again. And sadly, it was true. Mm. Got another excerpt for you. Ooh. Lawrence Sharp, age 17, and went by Larry, was last seen by his mother on May 11, 1980, at a family home in Long Beach. Larry was given $2 by his mother, which he carried in a wallet. Not possessing a car, he decided to hitchhike. Bonin's written confession reveals that when he first met Larry Sharp and the accidental re-meeting when he was with Eric, whatever. So Bonin had actually... You know, honestly, it's whatever and and his name both start with a W. So that's his name now. There we go. Eric, whatever. Thank he you. doesn't deserve his whole name. Thank you. So Bonin actually knew Larry and had met him earlier. Mm. So this was like a chance encounter coming across him. A friend of Larry and mine had been getting it on for a while. And one night when I dropped this guy off down in Long Beach, he introduced me to Larry. This was before any of those other things started to happen. He had the kind of looks I like. So I went down there a few days later and picked him up. He ended up coming home and spent the night. The only thing Larry let me do that night was hug and kiss him a couple of times and give him head for a while. Then we went to Knoxbury Farm the following day, getting home around 11. Sounds romantic. So they kind of went on a, a date, so to speak, right? That was how he previously knew Larry. <laughs> so now this is where Eric comes back in. Now, like I said, remember, Eric is the one who got messy drunk and Bonin dropped him off at home and they didn't talk for a while. Bonin called him up in, on a Saturday in May to see what he was up to. He went and picked him up and they went for a drive. Along the drive, Bonin told him he was getting some jobs for hits and that he needed someone to help him. And they can make more money, but they had to do a practice job first. Bonin told him that they would go pick up a guy and make it look like it was the freeway killer. Eric agreed, and off they went. This is when they went and picked up Larry, and that's when Bonin realized he recognized him. Bonin offered him $50 for sex, and as soon as they got in the back, he pulled a knife, and then they both raped him. Bonin then started messing with his mind, um, saying horrible things. Then asked Eric if he could kill him. Same thing as always, shirt around the neck, squeezing the genitals. When they had killed him, they dumped his body behind a gas station in Westminster. His body was found the next day. During his autopsy, carpet fibers were recovered matching the previous victims. See, this is the one I told you I just like really glazed over because mm-hmm. I was fucking over. After that ice pick murder and all yeah, the details, you're like, listen, like, we've already <laughs> I'm yeah. been there, done that. Don't want to do it again. 
The second victim was Sean King on May 19, 1980. Bonham went to Butts to have him come out cruising, but Butts declined. No doubt, a night of magic or D&D was way more fascinating. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, when you're the DM, you can't call out, okay? <laughs> yeah, exactly. You have a whole team waiting on you. Whole team. But he... But Butts did convince Bonin to give his friend um, James a ride home. And clearly, Butts' friend James was not a very good friend because he just sent him on his way <laughs> home with I was the freeway thinking, killer. Like, was he fucking up as the, in the party? Was he making mistakes and kept rolling little ones? <laughs> I'm going to need you to give him a ride the fuck home. Okay? When I say <laughs> ride the home, wing. if you watch Yellowstone, take him to the to fucking the train, train station. station. <laughs> <laughs> Bonin did talk Butts into riding with them, hoping that on the drive home, he would be able to convince him to, let's go find a victim. While driving back, Bonin spotted 14-year-old Sean King waiting at a bus stop. Bonin said he was going to stop and talk to him, but Butts was like, dude, just come on, I want to go home. He pulled up, told the youth that the last bus had already run, and that he was heading the same way, and he offered him a ride. And King agreed and hopped inside the van. This one was really sad, too, because... There's a lot about this young man, and he was just, like, just a good kid. And he had just had a conversation with his mom a few days earlier because of all the news press coverage. And she was like, I don't want you hitchhiking. You and your friends have done that before. And he was like, I know, Mom. We're going to stop. And she was like, any one of them could be that freeway killer, and you could get in there. And he said, I'm not that stupid, Mom. And then I was like, okay, excuse me why I go cry now. Yeah. This baby was just a little baby. And when you see the pictures of these guys, because you're— you're here in the ages, 17, 18. But when you see the pictures. Oh, they all look you like have tiny babies. It's really sad. Unfortunately, King agreed and he hopped inside. Butts made Bonin take him home first as he didn't want to participate. Bonin then went into Butts and got a blanket, a knife, and a string. He drove the youth to a side road. And when he pulled off on the side road, the kid was like, something's up. And he tried to get out, but he had already removed the door handle. So he was just fucked. He then made the kid perform sexual acts on him while tied up and then headed to a payphone and called Eric. Eric, whatever. <laughs> he told him he had another job, the hit, and that if Eric wanted to be able to get his own jobs, he'd have to help. He happily agreed. They drove Sean down a deserted road and raped him repeatedly. They decided they were going to stick this one. Ugh. They walked him out to a field where they repeatedly stabbed him. They stabbed him everywhere, but you can imagine. When they went to leave, they heard him moving and making noises and saw his feet kicking around. So they went back and stabbed him more until like, bro, they were satisfied. Bro, y'all couldn't even do it right the first time so this kid would not suffer? Oh, yeah. my God. You've raped him. You've made him perform sexual acts. Now you've stabbed him everywhere. He's, I'm sure, was probably dying, but he makes some noise so you go back and stab him some more. They then left to go get some snacks. As one does. I mean, killing is hungry business. Bonin, who was normally calm after a kill, started to get really nervous and wanted to go back and make sure he was dead. So this time they pulled down a side road. Not Could you wanting... imagine somebody rolling up with some Funyuns and a Pepsi be like, he did? Girl, that's all I can picture. <laughs> God damn. So they pulled up to a side road, not wanting to be seen, rolled the windows down and listened. And when they only heard crickets, they felt confident he was dead. Then a car started coming down the road, and it was a police cruiser. Oh, Lord. They started the car, drove past the police cruiser, smiling and waving to let him know all was all right. And he didn't pull him over. Of course not. 
Bonin then took Eric home. He then went to Butts to return the blanket and the other items he had taken. He proceeded to ask if they had fun and wanted all the details. He said he had changed his mind and hollered out, but Bonin had already drove away. So then they sat there and he talks about the snacks they were eating, what yeah, they were talking about. It sounds like he about. was like, uh, you invited me to a concert and yeah. I, oh, I'm, I changed my mind last minute, I hollered at you, but you guys, but tell me about it, girl. Yes, that's exactly Stop it. Stop it. Detective St. John was becoming very frustrated that for one year this person was dumping young men and they weren't even close to finding the killer. The first solid clue came on May 29th, 1980, 10 days after King was murdered. His body hadn't been found, but he was reported missing. So now we go back to old William Billy Pugh, who had previously helped Bond and kill Harry Turner, had been arrested for car theft. While Pugh was locked up, he came across an issue of the L.A. Times. The front page headline grabbed his attention. It was about another young male turning up dead. He read further and remembered seeing clippings in Bonin's glove box. Pugh started putting the pieces together and realized, fuck, Bonin was the freeway killer. Pugh then realized that if Bonin got caught, it was going to come out that he did a murder with him. So he figured his best chance was to go to them first to get less time for the murder he helped. And he figured if I'm turning into a serial killer, then they'll really lower my sentence. Yeah. Because I'm getting this I might get a reward. <laughs> I might get the 300 mm. <laughs> Doubt it. Listen, this sounds like a win-win scenario. <laughs> so that's why March 24th, 1980 is such an important date. Not only was it the day that the news stories came out, which is what Pew read, but Pew was the person that killed with him on that day. And now... Pew was taking those two things to be Bonin's demise. Pew took the paper to his counselor and told him he knew the freeway killer. He went on to tell him all his interactions with him, intentionally omitting his criminal parts. Of course. They then went to the director, who then contacted Detective St. John. Pew relays the story again, but changes some details to state Bonin forced him to go cruising, Bonin forced him to pick up boys and do this, but again, he omitted the murder they did together. But he had lots of information that had been withheld from the public intentionally, so Detective St. John knew they had their first solid lead. Unbeknownst to Bonning, he's now on the police's radar, 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 <laughs> but he's continuing to kill. Mm. Bonning was placed under surveillance on June 2nd, 1980. Bonning recruits Jim Monroe, and the next part, is going to be from interviews with Monroe. Jim and it's his account. So Jim Monroe and Bonin picked up Stephen Stephen Wells on June 2nd. So they picked up this little boy on June 2nd. And remember, this is when he starts to go under police surveillance. Sadly, they started the surveillance only three hours after they murdered this boy. Oh no. Yeah. He states that Bonin came home one night and asked him if he wanted to pick up a hitchhiker, rape them, and kill them. He said he agreed because he didn't want to look like a pussy. That was Monroe's exact words. No. Well, he asked, and I don't want to look like a pussy by saying no. <laughs> they went cruising and spotted 18-year-old Stephen Wells hitchhiking. Stephen was headed to an appointment with his dad to be fitted for a tux for his sister's upcoming wedding. He was reluctant to get in the van initially, but then Bonin offered him $20 for sexual activities, and he agreed. They went to Bonin's mom's house, and him and Stephen went in the room and had sex. Monroe said he was eating a sandwich waiting for his turn. 
he could hear him in there and he was like, I was just like, what was his mama doing? And this motherfucker has the audacity. His mom was out of town. Oh, I thought his mama made them the sandwiches. Uh-uh. Like, just like, he'll be done in a minute. <laughs> like, and this oh, motherfucker my God. had the audacity to say that while he was listening to them have sex in the other room and eating his sandwich, he heard his favorite show coming on TV and he thought, I mean, they're going to miss my show or I'm not going to get any sex. That's how just blatantly disregard for human life these fuckers had. Bonin soon comes out emotions for Monroe. They get the kid to agree to be tied up for sex. Monroe then said when they were done, they were going to let him go. He said he never really believed they were going to kill him, but that Bonin said they had to, no witnesses. They then beat on Stephen for a bit, and he tells Monroe to hold his feet and begins to choke him like he always does. Monroe said he almost threw up during it and that Bonham was smiling and laughing the whole time. He said he heard a snap, the kid went lip, and Bonham was just laughing and looked down at the kid and called him stupid. They then loaded the body up in a box and drove to Butt's house to show him. Then they all three headed to McDonald's for some food that they bought with Steve's money and then went down to Huntington Beach to dump the body. They were literally just driving all over. They were eat, picking up McDonald's with this kid in the box dead in the back. The LAPD surveillance van showed up to start at 10 p.m. McDonald's and murder. <laughs> Go together Jesus hand in hand. Christ. First reports from the surveillance van read about the three having a conversation and removing clothes from the van. So they pulled up to survey and then Bonin showed up at the house and the three of them got out and were taking stuff out. It was all of Steven's belongings they were taking out. They were just returning from dumping his body when the police showed up to start doing surveillance. Monroe would later testify why they ate the hamburger. Bonin looked at the burger and said, thanks, Steve, since they used his money to buy it. Horrifying. Jesus Christ. The young man's body was found the same day shortly after midnight. So June 3rd to June 11th would begin the deep surveillance of Bonin that would lead to his final arrest. They followed Bonin out of town, to his job, to a McDonald's in New York where they even engaged in conversation with them while in line. On June 11th, Bonin went off cruising but was followed by surveillance. The report states he approached and talked to many males and then would drive on to somewhere else. I mean, they, they got all the deets in there for you. He then approached Buddy Stark. They had a conversation and Stark got into the van. They then drove and parked the van against a building and got into the back. So that they had like multiple cars that, you know, so they would like switch out following him so he wouldn't see. So he picks up this guy and goes and parks and they're like, fuck, like he's got someone in there. So girl, how much would you hate your life today to have this job? They made one officer get out and go creep up beside the van and listen. And they were fucking. And he had to listen to them fuck for 15 minutes. And it goes into the report. He said, put it in harder. I like it when you do it faster. Yes. When I tell you this book is like, God damn, y'all don't have to put so many. Uh, Listen, I was complaining about the source material for my killer that we're going to be covering <laughs> next because some of it is some superfluous, dumb ass shit. Like, and they just love playing Candyland. Like that kind of dumb ass shit. Like what the <laughs> fuck does that even have to do with the story? Bro, what is like an uncomfortable sex scene? Okay. Yes. Why are we doing and all that? I just think was, I feel so bad for this cop that had to just sit there and listen to it. Because they... Didn't know if he was going to kill him, so they listen, had to listen. I don't care if it's homosexual, heterosexual. I don't want to hear it. Any care. I don't want to hear something. Exactly. If you had to put that, talk about anything about harder and holes and stuff, like, I'm bro. done. Ugh. Yes. So he had to sit there and listen to him for 15 minutes, get it on. Then it sounded like they had finished, but then all he could hear were 
random moans and grunts. So at that time, a police cruiser pulled up and turned the lights on facing the van. They were still naked in the back, having sex. So Bonnie got dressed and opened the front door, and Stark got dressed and opened the back. They seen in plain sight a tire iron, rope, and a knife. They felt that they had no choice but to immediately act. Bonin was detained for sodomy and murder. The van was detained as evidence, and both Bonin and Stark were escorted to the police station. Detective St. John was called in to interview Bonin. St. John informed him he was under arrest, read him his rights, and asked him if he had anyone he wanted to call. He eventually called his attorney, who said he would be down the following day and not to talk anymore. And that is where we're going to end part four. And so, yay, part five, oh, thank we'll get God to do they caught him. all the oh. interviews and no. uh, the trial and what everybody has to say. So, Holy it should get, I mean, at least we're at the end. At least this motherfucker's in jail, right? Yeah. Thank God. <laughs> I say that like it's happening live. Like, thank God. I know. No, girl, that's how I felt reading it. Oh. I'm pulling up the pictures of all the the victims real quick so you can see how young these little babies were. Because I'm telling you, like, I was picturing them look different. I guess just anticipating them to look older than they did. So that's Bonin. That's Butts. You can get a visual to Butts. And then there's all the little babies. Mm Mm-hmm. Girl, some of them look like elementary school. Some of them look like they're like nine, yes. ten. Holy crap. A lot younger than you thought by Steve that Wood, ages. Just that, thanks, Steve. Like, oh, my God. He looks like such a baby. Oh, no, that was Stephen Wells, wasn't it? Even then, he looks like a like all of them look like They all look like babies. I know. Especially Henry Todd Turner. He literally looks like he's 10 years old. I hate it. It's really sad. That's 12 of his victims. That's not all of them. That's not even 12. all of them. Good God. There's the van and a little view of inside the shag and wagon. Love it. Love it. We'll definitely post that on That's the socials for you guys. Bonin's mom's car and Butt's home. So yeah, there's some there's some good pictures in here that you'll have to. There's some of his letters that he wrote to the psychiatrist. Look, the book even has a part three. Oh my God. <laughs> so I hope you all enjoyed that. <laughs> it's delightful, isn't it? Well, guys, don't worry. There's a whole nother episode just coming your way. Yes, but it's it's a happy ending because he... He's caught. Yep. No more kids die. Thank you. Well, I mean, in this scenario, the kids die every day, but whatever. I digress. <laughs> <laughs> it, was just, it got sadder towards the end. I mean, it was all sad, but it was really sad when... you. So, you know, the police are about to start surveilling him and they literally show up as they're returning from dumping the body. Just like by that much. Yeah. That's it. Just just a wee bit. Ah! I know. Well, um, now that we've depressed you. Yeah. Now down. that we're uh, leaving you on a bad note. It's <laughs> what we're here for. That's what we do. <laughs> You're welcome. Uh, don't forget to check us out on socials. Don't forget to subscribe and rate us on all platforms. Just do us a solid. The more people that listen, the more we, you know, obviously can possibly make money and make this even more often. But yeah. We can replace our jobs and we can just write full fucking time. It would be fantastic. It would be. Um, Well, I, well, I don't have a job. <laughs> yeah. In hindsight, that was not a good sentence. <laughs> I don't have a job. Listen. 
Becky can quit, okay? Yes. <laughs> where That's the goal. Becky can quit her job. And just focus full time on you guys Think of all the cryptids we could tell you about. Think about all the ghost stories. We could go um, try to hunt some of these cryptids. Oh, yes, we can go hunt. Oh, my God. I want to come. We kind of meet Bigfoot at some point in our lives. Uh, my life won't be completed if I don't. When I, you know how like, Eskimos used to send their old people off on like a piece of ice and be like, deuces, you know, you're too old to take care of now. <gasps> no, you didn't I did know not that? know that. And that is absolutely horrible. And I wish my kids would. <laughs> I wish my kids. They would do it on their own. They would just be like, you know what? I'm getting too old. I'm going to get the fuck up out of here and die somewhere. Uh, See, knowing my luck, I would just get stranded on the ice somewhere and I would live for another three weeks surviving off cold water that I put in my mouth until I died from starvation. I'd be like, fuck, I thought it was going to be any day now, but apparently I was wrong. <laughs> I guess I'm too much of a survivor. Now I just get to starve to death on an See, ice. that's why berg. you just leave to go live with the Yeti, or exactly. which, which would be my temperature liking. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, hang out with an orangutan-looking motherfucker. I'm an orangutan-looking <laughs> motherfucker. You know what I mean? Uh, uh, excuse me, you're a beautiful queen. <laughs> Yes, it's true. And you say that I'm not even wearing makeup. You're so beautiful. I love you so much. <laughs> uh, but I digress. <laughs> Don't forget to check out our merch. If you feel like buying some and repping us, that'd be cool. And if you have your own Too Close to Home stories, just follow on our DMs. Let us know. We would love to do an, a listener's episode. We got some unique episodes coming up just for funsies. In the midst of also ones that will be horrifying as well. So. Yay. Look for look forward to that. <laughs> and uh, until next time, stay safe. Keep your head on a swivel. Y'all, let's let's just not bring it too close to home, okay? That's if all I got. Have be. a wagon. Don't be calling it a shagging wagon, okay? It's just I too, mean, it too can much. be a shagging wagon, but I need it to be consensual shagging. Consensual only. Yes. Okay. Uh, uh, blinking eyes, like consent <laughs> eyes, are not a thing. They are not a thing. <laughs> They're not a thing. Bye. Bye. If you enjoyed this episode of Too Close to Home, don't forget to rate and subscribe to us on most platforms. Follow us on our social media at Too Close Home Pod on Facebook, at Too Close Podcast on Instagram, or if you have your own Too Close to Home experience, shoot us your story at Too Close to Home at Yahoo.com. Thanks for listening. <laughs>